Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. How does the offer of free beer sound to you? As a loyal listener of the show, we'd like to reward you with just that, free beer. Thanks to our friends at beer52.com, you have the opportunity to sip eight free exclusive craft beers from around the world. All you need to do is go to beer52.com slash city and cover just four ninety five for the postage. Welcome to the Man City Show. It's Nigel Rothband back in the chair. There's just two guests this week joining me. Uh, the Man City Show is dropping guests as regularly as Manchester City are dropping points. More drop points on Saturday in the early kickoff against Newcastle 2-2, despite a Kevin De Bruyne worldie. So to discuss that and much more, I have these two guests, both with a finance background. So we can get into the recent investments into Manchester City and Manchester City's recent investments. Welcome to financial analyst, Dave Hodgson. Good evening. And welcome to aspiring Dragon's Den panellist, Spencer Debson. Good evening. Let us start, please, with Manchester City's form. We'll get into the game, we'll get into the match, we'll get into the tactics, we'll get into the team selection. Let's just talk about City's form. You compare this season with last season and the season before, and it's just not happening, Spencer. What, What, in your view, has gone wrong? Nigel, if I knew the answer to City's woes, I wouldn't be sitting here talking to you drinking a pint of Guinness, uh, which I am not. Um, it's, it's, uh, we've been playing quite well quite a lot of the time. Um, our injury uh, issues are well known and definitely it's part of the story. Um, but I think there's just a sense that we cannot, we cannot finish games off. We cannot win a little bit ugly. Um, and I can't put my finger quite on it, you know. Um, it, I, I don't think you can hang it on the injuries. I think somehow we are not clicking in the way that we have for the last couple of seasons, and it's starting to feel a little bit like Pep's first full season, uh, and we have got a lot of ground to catch up. You can put your finger on it, Dave, can you? There's a phrase we used to say a lot before Guardiola, which is we'd always sort of defend our team's form, etc., if they were creating chances. And, of course, we've had the joy that we've created chances and usually taken them for most of the last few years. We're still creating the chances. We can't defend. We're missing defenders. That's been an issue. But we're not taking as many chances as we should. So there's issues, there's issues right at the back and there's issues right at the front. We're scoring goals, but just not enough to cover the issues we're having in defence. And that's been we're, the we're, real story. We're of scoring season. loads of goals. 
not at the right times, though, aren't we? It's a bit like the, uh, the Eric Morecambe thing. We're, we're doing all the right things, but not necessarily the right time in the right order. You know, we, it's fine to win a game 6-7-8-0 in a Carabao, but it's, 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 it's getting those critical goals at those critical times. Uh, Newcastle game, which we'll come on to. Just to remind you, a good we've, example scored, of that. we've scored 39 goals. Liverpool have only scored 32. Leicester, 31. Chelsea, 28. But I bet if you strip out the top three or four performances, then, then the other eight, nine, ten games will give you a different distribution. The correct number of goals to score is always one more than your opponent. And the thing is... Is that right? Is that how it works? <laughs> hey, I, can, I don't know why you're a financial <laughs> analyst. It's all becoming clear now. <laughs> I, know, so I know why they took you on. This mm. is it. You know, Michael Owen's been giving me tips just to try and improve my performance on the podcast. And I'm hoping it's shining through. But, um, but no, you know, you see the way we've been playing. We are conceding much more than we were this time last season when we were having so much of the ball. We were composed at the back. That was where our attacks came from. Like I was saying last time I was here, you know, we can defend pretty stoutly and make possession, you know, build possession from that when we've got a full complement of players. That's not been happening and that's had impact all across the pitch. But we're still having plenty of possession, aren't we? We're still having plenty of games. We're still dominating games. Was it 70-odd percent again against Newcastle? Away at Newcastle? That's yeah, still, but again, still it, again it's the quality of the possession, isn't it? It's all very well trucking it across the back line and back and forth. Uh, possession was not the issue against Newcastle. It was that, it was that being clinical. I would say, well, don't want to preempt what we're about to come on to. Well, well let's do that then, Spencer. Let, yeah. let, let's talk about the, the game then. And, and any issues with selection when you heard it? it? Was We knew that Aguero was out injured and it was predictable, I think. Not too it? surprising, no. I thought, you know, we had a bit of a debacle. For some reason, last season, we just didn't turn up. I thought we were going to turn up this season. We were clearly under pressure. It was a kind of a must-win game in that sense. Um, I felt quite confident before the game to be honest with you and I thought it was a you know a sensible team selection from that point of view so how did now, now you were there Dave so so you, you're a home and away man uh, which is always impressive and uh, it's a long way up those stairs to the to the top of that stand that the back behind the goal in Newcastle so you've done well to make that trip and make it all the way back sitting on the on a train uh, on the floor I believe for most of that journey Anyway, and, less, of, less of your woes. What about, uh, what was it like from up there then? Well, once I'd had time to catch my breath and sort of look through the team sheet, I kind of realised, you know, Newcastle are one of those teams, and their fans will tell you, they don't have any illusions about the lack of quality in that squad. They've got a front three who've generally been really misfiring this season, maybe relying on the defenders for goals. Yep. Generally speaking, they have to def- you know th- their game is about defending it's about trying to nullify the opposition and you know when the game began it it almost felt like Rafa Benitez hadn't gone you know it was those two banks of five you know the striker was dropping back into almost form that like you have the holding midfielder come and sit with the defense and we were really struggling to break it down we could pass around it we could try and maneuver but the real differentiator for us in games like that is either someone like David Silver or Bernardo Silver getting in between those lines and working magic in those tiny spaces, or someone like Riyad Mahrez, Leroy Sane, who can just run at, you know run at the defence, beat them, you know, and basically have to basically have to dribble it into the back of the net almost. Raheem Sterling tried that a couple of times, didn't quite come off, wasn't quite his day. But we had a number of players who really needed to step up in that creative roles and just didn't. 
But we, we've said this a lot this season. I'm going to say it again. You've got to give credit to Newcastle, I think, in terms Absolutely. of the way they worked their socks off. They, they were well organised and they did a job. And, you, and you've got to say well done to them. And this is, this is happening more and more. Is, is it that teams are working City out? Or well, you see, I what think, is it? I think this particular game, it was really the quality of the finishing. I mean, they did park 10 men behind the ball most of the time. They defended really well most of the time. But we had enough chances to have won that game. I mean, there was at one time um, uh, Jesus was, was, was clearly through on goal and you would have thought he should be scoring that seven, eight times out of ten. Uh, keeper parried it. There was a, we got through enough times, maybe four or five times, where we really should have been converting three or four of those. That's what I felt. Um, we were, you know, uh, and we just... We just we're just lacking that killer punch for, for some reason. It is odd, isn't it? And, and I, I'm really struggling with this. Yes, we know Aguero's out. Uh, Sterling, earlier in the season, was on fire. He's, been, he's one of the contenders for sports personality of the year. You know, he's having a very special season. Jesus' his scoring record when he starts for City is extremely impressive. Hasn't scored what, in his last eight, though. The, now. The, true, absolutely. I accept that. So, so what, what needs to change? And, and uh, if I just... Add to the thing I just said before, which is that teams seem to be working City out. Should Pep be trying something different? Because we are fairly predictable, aren't we? I have to say, should we be trying something new? Or or what's your view, Dave? You were there. So so I'll make two points here. Um, Firstly, Gabriel Jesus is clearly... He almost seems a bit like a tragic hero at times. That You know, the universe has conspired to to thwart him. And he he wears it on his face. He's one of the most emotional players I watch play and it's very clear you know he he got a real lift from the fans at the end who were singing his singing his name as he came off you know clearly looking pretty dejected and it's clear that the man you know the man's down on confidence and it's not an issue we've had with Aguero because Aguero is much more seems to be much more composed as a as a person and that's an issue that Jesus is going to have to overcome he was struggling you know he, he had three defenders basically marking him for a lot of the game that was a problem but the thing I'd flag that has been the big issue in that game, and I think it's been the issue in a few different games as well, is we usually have a metronome. We usually have a midfield. For the last 10 years, we've been blessed with David Silva, who is a metronomic passer. He picks the ball up in the most ridiculous space. He somehow has it perfectly under control from his first touch, and he moves it on. And we have that quick, you know, quick movement of the ball, player to player to player. Everyone's moving. Space is always being created. Kevin De Bruyne is a wonderful footballer, but that's not his game. His game is far more beautifully executed passes to spread the play. It's not quite that metronomic. It's not quite dictating the tempo of the game in the same way. And David Silva didn't quite step up in that game. Benjamin Mendy consciously slowed the game down every time he got the ball. And I don't know if that's just his first touch isn't quite there. But without Bernardo in the middle, who maybe could have made a difference, and I hoped that change maybe came earlier, we were really struggling to dictate the tempo. And that really gave Newcastle a bit of room to come back into the game. Can I put one other thing on the table? Uh, That Brian Kroll on Twitter, I asked the question, I asked people to ask questions. And Brian asked a really good point here. He says, is Pep making a mistake not putting Fernandinho back in his natural position? I know he trusts him uh, the most in the back four but our midfield tempo which is the point you're making here Dave has slowed down drastically since he's no longer playing uh, a defensive midfield I don't think he trusts Foden over Gundo Silva 
Gundogan or Silva. So what's the answer? I mean, that, that is an issue, isn't it? I mean, I've said it many times, yeah. Fernandinho, one of the most underrated players in the Premier League. I think that, that's, that, that, is, a, that is very fairly stated because uh, Fernandinho, a very cultured player, clearly he's adapted uh, very well to being centre-half, but he is not capable of doing that role in the way that, that, that Delft did at left-back and, and sort of, you know, substituted for the whole season. And we have seen a number of free kicks, needless free kicks, right on the edge of the box that, that you know, a typical central defender would not get anywhere near committing. But for me, sorry, Spencer, it's, the, it's him missing in midfield. But, well, I was going to come on to sure. that, that Rodri is not, is, is, he does not have the fluidity that Fernandinho does. Um, so I think that that is absolutely right. We're lacking pace and, 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 and balance overall by the fact that Fernandinho has gone back in defence. I think I agree with that. Dave? I think there's a clear reason why Fernandinho is being used at centre-back right now. And it's not just about the fact that he's arguably the best tackler in the team and for a man of his height, very good in the air. It's the fact that we have been missing leadership. We've got John Stones who can have his off days. Sometimes you feel needs a little bit of guiding. You've got Otamendi who really needs a senior defensive partner with him, even though he's in his 30s, because he just is rash. That's, he's, not a, he's not a leader at the back. I think Otamendi and Stones, you know, it may be a case that there's just not quite the communication there. There's not quite the leadership there. Fernandinho does bring that in. You know, we talk about Vincent Kompany as one of the best defensive leaders we've ever had. When, you know, Fernand, he used to make these exact same tackles that gave away free kicks as Fernandinho. It's because he's taken the initiative and he's having to do these things. Again, in holding midfield, he adds something because he's so technically gifted, quick, beyond, you know, quick like he's 10 years younger than he is. But Rodri, we've also got to remember, it's his first season in the Premier League. I don't think Guardiola would have wanted to use him in this way. Gundogan isn't as quick and he's not a hard tackler. He does, ha- he does have something in terms of distributing possession, so I think he does add something there. But the fact that Fernand- we're missing Fernandinho at holding mid does not necessarily mean we wouldn't miss him even more if he wasn't playing centre-back, and I think that's the case. So, so what's the answer, Dan? Mm. Listen, we're, we're, we're speculating here. We, we're certainly not fit to uh, lace Pep's boots, of course, but, but we're playing a game here. What, if you were advising him, what, you, you saw it first-hand again on Saturday. What do you think he needs to do? We've got two important games coming up. We don't want to lose any more points. We're 11 points behind, as we've said. What needs to change tactically, uh, whether that's in terms of selection or the way he plays the game, the way he sets us up? What needs to change, Dave, in your view? One thing I would maybe consider that might just give a little bit more flexibility for the team, and it's, you know, I'm, I'm sure we'll get some interesting comments on Twitter for this, is a bit like how England played the back, four, the, the back five at the World Cup. When you bring Walker into the centre, play Cancelo on the right... And you have Fernandinho in between Stones and Walker. So a bit similar to what England did last time, but you know, have Fernandinho stepping out. So he can offer that support to the holding mid when he needs to. When we're under the cosh, he can offer that leadership at the back as well. It's one option. I'm sure Pep's considered it, but it's one way that we might be able to sort of redress that balance. Do you like the idea of that? Do you see City <laughs> I, I, going I, in I, with five at the back? I like it on my FIFA 19 game. I think it'd be brilliant. <laughs> but I, I, I'm not sure that that, that, would, that will sustain... In theory, that sounds great. I mean, it does rely on, uh, you know, Cancelo and Mendy on the left, sort of, you know, searing forward and sort of dropping back. Uh, I continue to be disappointed with Mendy, who had a very fitful game against Newcastle. Um, we're looking for solutions, aren't we? Um, that's certainly something to think about. I suspect he won't do that. And I think he'll, I suspect he'll carry on as is. 
My argument here would be that Mendy, it would take some of the defensive responsibility off Mendy. You could even play Angelino there, who is looking a little bit more comfortable on the ball at the moment. Mendy looks like his body is not quite doing what he'd like it to be doing. But, you know, I think that will give us a bit of defensive response, you know, a bit more sort of ballast at the back, a bit more chance for two very, you know, very quick fullbacks to get forward, particularly if Mendy can get his form going. The issue is it does maybe diminish our central midfield, which is usually our strongest asset. So there is there are issues, but I think it's something we need to try. You weren't here last week when we talked about Foden, um, who, when he came on against Chelsea, really gave us a spark and, and, and looked the difference. He mm. had energy, he had pace, the sort of things that you mm. said we were missing a little bit. Mm. Your thoughts, I know we discussed yeah. it last week, but interested to know Well, he, he came on against Newcastle, and... didn't he, after about 70, 75 minutes. Uh, again, a bit of a bit of a bit of pep, bit of a uh, bit of bit of uh, panache, you know, a bit of style. I would I would start Foden. Um, we've discussed that many times, haven't we? Uh, that he deserves more. You've got a different view, Dave, I suspect. I, I would, because I think Bernardo is far from what what he was last season. We know it could be some you know off pitch stuff, maybe, but he, he's he's a shadow of what he really has been. David Silva again is tiring. I, I personally would be starting Foden. I think there's a reason why Bernardo's been worse than he was last season. It's because we're not playing him in the right place. So when I saw Foden and Bernardo come on for you know, Mares and David Silva, I thought you're going to put Foden on the right and you're going to bring Bernardo into the middle to exploit you know, the sort of lack of space we have, try and sort of carve an opening through the middle. And it went the other way. Bernardo is not a natural winger in the sense he's not going to go and roast your fullback. He's going to try and cut in, on, you know, cut in, in the same way Mares was doing. He was often trying the same sort of things Mares would do maybe a bit less shooting, a bit less direct. But he was trying a lot of the things that hadn't quite worked with Mares. So I, I was a bit confused why we did that. Let Foden use his youthful energy to chase tiring fullbacks. Give Bernardo a chance to work his mastery in central midfield where he, we know he thrives in, you know... Running with the ball in tight, spa- you know, operating with the ball in tight spaces, and you know, well, those little passes. E- you know, even so, Bernardo, be it on the right wing for parts of last season and the season before, or in the centre, he was a player who made an impact wherever he was on the pitch. For you know, uh, and that's just not for whatever reason that's just not happening at the moment. But we had such a different dynamic in wide spaces when you have Sane as well, because then you had a natural left-footed left winger. Yep. You could put Sterling on the right. You could put Mares on the right for something a bit different, but that doesn't give you the same width. Without Sane, we just don't have that same ability to play with width, and we have to adapt our players accordingly. Get used to being without Sane. I think yeah. that's probably fair. I think it is. Uh, listen, 11 points behind, gents. Is that it? Is that the league gone? Well, I found this terribly frustrating. I must admit, I um, um, always want to keep the faith and uh, keep the faith in Pep and everything. But I, I was really frustrated with Pep's reaction, actually, in the, um, uh, the aftermatch uh, sort of conference where he said, you know, we played well and uh, it was a good performance. Because, I, you know, sometimes you want to hear, we really need to put this game to bed. We want to strive forward and we want to, you know, haul back the thing. He didn't sound, I'm sure he's very concerned about it. It didn't, it didn't communicate that urgency um, the, or the frustration that I think we, we all felt with that game. Um, I do personally think now we have got one heck of a, of a, of a challenge ahead of us. And if we overturn this, uh, we'll be, it will be historic because it's not been done. I think it's been done once before in the history of, hasn't it, by uh, uh, another 11 team. 11-point City behind Liverpool, three times a team have overhauled a deficit as big or bigger. 
Arsenal were 13 points behind Stratford uh, at the top in December 97 after 19 games. Stratford were 12 points off Norwich City in December 92 after 17 games and 12 points off Newcastle. In January oh, yes. after 23 games. Just off the top of my head, this information. It's amazing, it's isn't it? Brilliant. It's an education, it's, it's, isn't it? It's Mensa-esque. It's very impressive. Unbelievable. Dave is gone. Finished. It's Liverpool's yep. title. I think we're buggered. I think Liverpool are going to probably drop less points than we are towards the end of the season. I think it might actually do us some good for a while to start looking over our shoulders, look at what Mourinho's doing at Tottenham. Are they going to try and push for top four? You know, Chelsea have got... You know, potential for some good results. Leicester are doing well. Who knows what happens with Arsenal if they get a you know, new manager and he galvanises mm. them? That's what we've got to be thinking about. But also, I mean, on the Guardiola point, I don't think he would, if he had the choice, I don't think he'd do a press conference all year. I think he, he views them as an inconvenience. He's not one to call his players out in it. If he's going to call anyone out in these things, he'll call himself out because he wants to keep these things to addressing them. Good on him. That's I mean, you know, is there a positive from a negative? I mean, the last season, Make that, one for us, the run-in was excruciatingly stressful. I mean, it was magnificent, but it was, it was excruciating, wasn't it? it was. Maybe there's a part of the City psyche that goes, do you know what? We're not going to get there this season. Let's play well. Let's reorganise. Let's really focus Champions League and the Cups. Well, indeed. Let's, uh, let's flow. You bring us on to our final subject before the break, which is, we'll just cover it briefly. Shakhtar, uh, we only needed a draw, and we got a draw. Any quick reflections on that Re- result we wanted to top the group? We can play the kids in the, in, in the last game. Job yeah, done. That's, you've said it. That's it as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. One thing that did worry me, just one thing I want to bring out from that, Edison had a very hairy moment at the start where he went a bit AWOL. Um, striker got round him. Unlike Bravo, he didn't decide to, uh, to take him down, so that was pleasing. Um, but, you know, but for some very smart work from Fernandinho, that could have been an issue. And it was just a little bit symptomatic of the mistakes we're having, the sort of lack of flow we're having at points. Again, I won't worry too much about it because it was, we had such wide margin for error. You got the sense that the players weren't playing at the same intensity they would in the league game. Yeah. But job done. Am I, am I convinced? Do I think we're going to go on and make a big dent in the competition? I don't really. On current form, but we could turn it all around. You never know. Listen, we're going to talk about money. Before we do that, we're going to take a quick break. Hello and welcome to Seeing Red, a true crime podcast brought to you by me, Mark and my co-host Bethan. Each week we take a deep dive into the dark world of true crime. Cases have ranged from the murder of Christina Abbott, a high-class escort who was killed by a sadistic client, to the Peru 2, a pair of young women convicted of smuggling drugs in South America. Whilst always respectful to the victims of these crimes, we do like to tell each story in our own unique style, with humour and lots of f***ing swearing. Join us every Wednesday for a new episode of Seeing Red, a true crime podcast, wherever you get yours. Welcome back. Plenty happened on the financial front at Manchester City, off the field. Uh, Dave, can you just help us understand, please? Let's start off with the Silver Lake investment first. Just help us understand how that came about and the implications of that for the club. So I'd say it came a little bit out of the blue. It wasn't something that had been particularly rattling around the financial press, but it certainly attracted a fair bit of attention. Um, So what's happened is Silver Lake have bought 10% of the City Football Group, 
of which Manchester City is the sort of flagship brand, but includes a few other clubs that we have, including New York City, Melbourne, and clubs in various you know, various corners of the globe. And they um, that was five hundred million dollars for a ten percent stake, which I believe values the group as at four point eight billion dollars, which puts us second only to the Dallas Cowboys in terms of footballing entity value. Now I'd have some questions about that as about the valuation point, but what it does say is we are a club that is becoming increasingly attractive to investors. I'd say Silver Lake don't look at us as a football club; they look at us as an entertainment group. And they clearly see something in here that's going to deliver them money. This is, an, this is an investment company. They do this to make more money. So they're clearly seeing that there's something we're doing right that's going to deliver them money longer on. And before I come on to Spencer, Silver Lake, just help us understand a little bit about who they are and what they do and, and again, why they will be investing in Manchester City Group. So Silver Lake are probably best described as Silicon Valley royalty. They have been a major investor in a lot of big successful tech names are probably best known for business dealings they've done with dell uh, the computer manufacturer they're also heavily involved in companies like alibaba Didi. for those who know the chinese market well um you know those are um big names they've been involved with but they've also increasingly got involved in the world of entertainment they've been involved in a big talent management group also names like ufc the ultimate fighting championship and the Miss Universe beauty pageant. So we're joining an illustrious list of entertainment giants. Oh dear. Spencer, <laughs> do, you, do you want to add anything to that? Well, very comprehensive I'm, I'm not sure some... I can do that, Nigel. I'll try. But I mean, Dave will, will correct me, uh, but I, I think this is the first time that an investment of that size from that type of investor has gone into sort of the UK, certainly the UK football franchise. Um, and I, I think that's going to open the door for a lot more, actually. Um, I mean, valuation-wise, uh, you know, five billion. I think we were that t- took us ahead of Real and um, uh, and Barca. Um, it doesn't mean that it's truly worth five billion. It means that was the basis of valuation on which somebody put five hundred million in. Two slightly different things, uh, but um, it really talks to the ever-increasing value of what's going on. Um, and I think City's turnover was it five five twenty million? I think it's approaching United's turnover, and will likely yeah, overtake it. We, we covered it. that a couple of weeks ago. Actually, yeah. that we, if, if we continue on the same trajectory, yeah. then we're. But it's, it's we're still a stratospheric valuation to be valued sure. at ten times turnover. Um, and, yeah. and how does it affect? Because City fans will have heard of FFP and be worried about FFP. Any implications for that? Does that affect that in any way? I'm just trying to work out what that means in terms of our transfer <coughs> budget, our transfer strategy. Does that change anything particularly? I'm not sure how FFP measures this sort of investment. I think, you know, as we've seen, we're quite good at finding ways for income to count towards yeah. FFP. So I don't we seem know. to find very good sponsors, don't we? Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, and strike very lucrative sponsorships. Yeah, and, and but, that, um, but what this will definitely tell me is that... This is, you know, these are serious guys. These are not guys who come in and throw good money after bad. So they've got to be pretty convinced that FFP is going in the right direction, that we're not going to take a huge hit because that would impact their investment as well. We are likely to be in Europe for the foreseeable. So, you mm. know, given these, these guys do serious due diligence, mm. I would definitely take the view that this is a positive sign on us and FFP. Somebody who goes back to the Peter Swells days and before and the state of that ground and the state of that club to think that we are the second largest 
in value sports club in the world after, as you say, Dave, the Dallas Cowboys. And they're, by definition, the, the largest football club in the world. Is is quite unbelievable, really, for a City fan to be sitting here. It's incredible, talk, isn't it? Talking about <laughs> that, that we have managed to get ourselves into that it, situation, mm. to get that investment, to have the infrastructure in place at our club, yeah. to be sitting there. It, it's just phenomenal. It's, it's, it's almost unbelievable. It doesn't seem it? that long ago when we, we'd heard that we'd sign Rubinho and we were like, that, that something's wrong. <laughs> well, well, exactly. <laughs> you know, um, and it's only really 10, 11 years, isn't it? But I think the thing that's incredibly impressive is that um, the, the infrastructure, and I think that's what this investment is all about as yeah. well. It's not necessarily about income and expenditure mm. and FFP sort of month to month, year to year, but it's probably uh, also about capital investment mm. and the magnificent um, sort of community and uh, stadium infrastructure training complexes that City have got, which, which uh, an academy. You know. Qu- quite magnificent, yes. And Dave. of course, the, the other side to this is we've got to remember that what's been valued here is not Manchester City Football Club, it's the, Man- it's the City Football Group. So they're also going in for, you know, our majority stakes in different teams around the world. We've got teams in, Sh- in China, we've got teams in the US, we've got teams in Australia, we've got teams Canada, in Japan. Canada, yeah. um, And we've just, and we just and bought another one. Indeed, we, we have just bought another one in India. So these are huge growth markets. You know, India, there's been some fascinating studies done that the market for football is very different. You know, fans are much more fluid. They may follow a player, they may follow five different teams. So there's definitely an opportunity to try and really capture that loyalty in these growing mm. markets. And this, I think, is partly what these clubs are investing in as well. And, you know, maybe, you know, cynics can reasonably make the argument that if Barcelona, Real Madrid were to be bought tomorrow, their valuations will be even higher. And it's just that there's a, there's a buyer's market for, uh, sorry, seller's market for football clubs. Um, and that this is moving upwards. But people are looking at us as the opportunity where these are lying and buying into this clever little group structure that mm. we've got going. There's one key element that will drive valuation even higher, of course, which is that competition that, that, that we come to in uh, February, March, April, May. And that, I think, is really emphasises the importance of that to actually the city to be really thought But we of. still haven't won it, but we're still, having, we're still getting these investments. So, yeah. so there's got to be a, a reason for that. They see, as you say, you said, Spencer, it's about the infrastructure, it's about building the legacy that, that, that we're building and have built over, over a long period of time. And it's going to come. It's gonna, we're going we're gonna to win that competition. Well, as certain press releases from a certain other team in Manchester have, or certain earnings calls from other teams in Manchester have said, you know, performance on the football field isn't always the prime driver of uh, investment success. So maybe there are other factors at play. But principally, you know, that is going to matter. That's what boosts your profile. Everyone watches that game. You know, we're, we're appealing, we're, people, investors want us to appeal to the marginal fan. And that's exactly what this sort of thing will do. Well, let's, let, let's get back to, to, <clears throat> to playing matters then, because we do play them uh, on Saturday at the 5.30 kickoff. But before we do that, we play Burnley tomorrow, Tuesday night. We're recording this on Monday. Mm. Burnley away. I mean, <laughs> every game now. I mean, it's stupid. It was even the Newcastle game was a must-win game, and, and we didn't. So well, I we guess, know what we're going to get, don't we? <laughs> I guess the Burnley game's a must-win game then, is it? Yeah, we're going to get four four two. We're going to get Ashley Barnes up front, you know, and we know what we're going to get. But they're always difficult to beat, aren't they, Burnley? But I think our our, our recent record over the last four years is actually very solid. Um, and uh, ever the optimists, we will expect to perform well, bounce back, and and, and we we really do need to win that game, take our chances, and uh, and, and come up with a win. 
and and not concede as well because we've talked in the in the first part of the show about not scoring but you know we've conceded seven goals in four games in november and it, and we did the same in the premier league in in the final 18 games of last season so it is kind of both ends isn't it it's kind of yeah. not not taking a chance it's also we're conceding too many as well yeah i think burnley's going to be a real test of that because you know they're going to put long balls in the box i think i feel we look very suspect any time we defend a set piece at the moment. I think that's a big part of this. We do look like we're going to concede chances. You know, Burnley know what the recipe will be to deal with us. They'll have to keep things tight at the back. Dyche has always been very good at doing that, keeping them disciplined. And I think they're just the sort of team who are going to look at this and go, right, let's get into them early. We know the frail at the back. I'm, I'm really worried about this one, if I'm honest. I've, I have a... I'm what what, you, what you worried about in particular then, Dave? What worries you particularly? I think they're, they're going to know our weaknesses, which are, you know, we're not great in the air. We've not got a great deal of height at the back. We're also not the quickest at the back as well. So, you know, if, if they can catch us out, hit us on the counter and, you know, put balls into the box, those, you know, those are things that they're going to look to do. And I think they probably could you know, be reasonably successful in doing that. Let's look forward then to, to the weekend. So something we were discussing before we came on, on air. Who's... Uh... Who's more in crisis then, somebody said. So I'm going to repeat that to, to you two. If you think of where they are, languishing out of the Champions League places, we are now below Leicester and Liverpool, lost more games than we'd like to think. So, so both clubs, you could argue, it's probably not in the C word just yet. But who's in more trouble? Well, I think I would not be lamenting any, anything that might happen to the team in red. Uh, they've got a longer-term <clears throat> project on the go there, haven't they? That's going to take a number of years. Um, we are really um, tweaking and refining. So they are definitely in a lot worse state than we are. Um, having said that, derby games are always one-offs, uh, unpredictable, uh, and we don't want um, an unexpected result because I, you know, we're going to go into that game, um, I would say, clear favourites. Would you not? Um, and, you know, I, I don't really fear what they're doing at the moment at all. Clear favourites, leaking goals, not scoring goals at important times, losing games. We're clear favourites, are we, Dave? Yep. I think they're, I think they're worse <laughs> than we are. <laughs> I mean, we're hitting Edward where it hurts now by being more attractive to investment. So this is a, you know, it's a fantastic time mm. to be a City fan. We're beating them on all fronts. But to be honest, I watch United when I have to, and I look at them and go, what's the strategy here? I think... One of the most fantastic things that's happened from a City point of view is their continued faith in Solskjaer. You know, I, I can't see what the strategy is. You know, it just doesn't seem like they really have a coherent direction. Of course, of course they have. They're relying po- on... Of course they have. Poch, Poch has been lined up, hasn't he? Poch is joining them. Do you, not, do you not read the papers? If you were Poch, would you take that job right now? Yeah, probably. What would? Why? What? Nice little salary. Yeah, I think you know he's, he's, he's over ten million a year. I'd say massive, massive salary. You know they're still regarded as a you know a big club. You know if you watch the History Channel often enough, you'll probably believe that. But you know, so he, that, yeah, I think he probably would, wouldn't he? It's a lot warmer in Madrid. Yeah, but he's not. He's not going to be there forever, is he? He's only a young man. He can spend his his retirement when he's thirty nine. You know, when he's <laughs> in his forties, he can spend time in Madrid. But he must be being lined up, surely. Yeah, for that I job. would have thought so. But it, it will take time, won't it? And it will take a, you know a number of transfer windows. And there's quite a 
reorganization that needs to go on there. Sure. And uh, the reason they're not dealing, I don't know why we're talking about them so much, is that we're not going to do it after this. I'll make one comment, we'll move and talk about City. But you, th- they've made too many changes, haven't they? They don't like doing that. And he mm. was kind of their choice and the local boy and super sub and he understands the club and all that bollocks. Mm. Which is, and they, they won't want to seem to be making a change unless they absolutely have to. And they, they, they lose midweek and they lose against City. I think it puts them in quite a difficult situation. So we could, uh, we could really turn the screw. Absolutely. And I think, you know, it's a difficult one because you could argue, do they actually miss Pogba? But I think they, you know, he's the player who has that little bit of magic that they could. Right. So we're use, talking about too So I said we weren't going to talk so about. So who are we worrying about? Who, you know, what's the thing we're worrying about in their team? Well, we're I, not. I we're worrying. About, I think we're worrying about our team. Aren't we? We're worrying that we're not scoring enough goals at vital times. We're worrying we're not scoring enough, and we're, and we're leaking goals as well. And, and we need to change that. Something needs to change, and I'm not seeing it. That's that's what I've come back to. What I said in the first half. That's what's worrying me. Teams are finding us out. Teams are now playing a certain way, and we are not getting the results that we were last season, the season before. Record-breaking seasons, and it's something's gone wrong, and none of us can really put our finger on it. And that—that's what's worrying me, Dave. Does that answer your question? Yep. But we're up against a team with the exact same problems, and I think we've got the individual quality to deal with it. I think Newcastle can play in a way that Manchester United wouldn't. I don't think Manchester United will go in with that sort of game plan. I think it's, there's almost too much arrogance there for them to do that. I think this will be a game which will be relatively open. I think it will suit us quite well. Sergio might be back? No. Pep says no. No. Oh, he said okay, at the press conference today that he's out. Oh, I missed that. Okay. Yeah, he's out, unfortunately. Right. Okay. Oh, <laughs> scrub that from the pod. <laughs> so let's. Uh, I, I hate doing this because you, you're all useless at it anyway. But let's uh, let's have quick predictions for both the Burnley game and the Stratford game at the weekend. Dave, Dave, you first, please. One nil Burnley, two nil City. So we're going to lose against Burnley one nil. Yep. Another loss. Yep. That then we will be in crisis. Then. Yep. And pep out. And we'll You'll be starting out. the pep out to campaign. Not a chance. Good man. I'm, I think we're going to win against Burnley. I'll go 3-1 because we're bound to concede. I think we'll score more than we concede. And I would love us to win at the weekend, but I'm going to go for a draw 2-2. All right. Well, listen, it's been an absolute, absolute pleasure uh, having my two guests, uh, the, the money men, uh, to Dave Hodgson and to Spencer Debson. Thank you. This is Nigel Rothman saying thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you all very soon. This is a Playback Media production. To listen to all our football podcasts, visit playbackmedia.co.uk. Sports Social Podcast Network.